Hi, and welcome to the September 4th Labor Day Sunday edition of the Redheaded Preacher Podcast. I'm Richard Lanford. I'm the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. I welcome you to the podcast and appreciate your turning in. This time we've got a message that, if you've read the stuff about it, it's called Everything Costs So Much These Days. And you'll quickly learn in listening that um, following Jesus is one of the things that has a pretty high cost, and it's helpful to uh, explore and, and interpret some of the things that Jesus meant in these words of Luke 14, verses 25 and following, about following him. And I'll discuss some of those contexts and also lift up the benefits of choosing to follow. One in particular that I'll focus on in the last part of the message. So welcome again, and I hope you are built up by this message as I intend for folks to be built up and have some hope renewed after listening to this message. Our elector is Dan Gunther. He's got two readings for us, and here he is. Our first reading is from Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, and then 13 through 18. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it, for it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. This concludes the reading from Psalm 139. Our Gospel lesson is also our final reading. It is a continuation of last week's chapter of Luke, Luke 14, verses 25 through 33. Talk of dinners and meals is over. Jesus has now gone back on the road and has become very popular. Jesus has some very tough words to say to the crowds following him. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost, to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, 
when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Here ends the reading of the gospel and of the scriptures for today's Labor Day Sunday service. Thanks be to God for this, God's holy word. Everything costs so much these days. You and I find ourselves budgeting more fastidiously, cutting back, prioritizing where and when we do spend or invest. Everything costs so much these days, but that does not mean we do not make sacrifices for the sake of our values. As this is Labor Day Sunday, some sacrifices of the past made by common workers were sacrifices that were enforced and crossed over into being abusive. That sparked the agitation for and the creation of labor unions, which were supported by churches in many cases. That agitation and creation took a lot of sacrifice as well, including the loss of lives over the decades. Even as we have little choice in coping with the fact that everything costs so much these days, and still there is sacrifice. We hear Jesus say what the cost of following him is, and we are stunned. We heard Dan read it. The Lord said, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me, cannot be my disciple. None of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. What? First, some context. Earlier in Luke 14, Jesus had been in semi-private conversations in a home for dinner. Now he is back out in public. The first verse is, Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Pause. Not crowds, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, traveling with him. And he turned and said to them, whoever comes to me, etc. As I said last week, who Jesus is talking to can make a difference in how we understand what he says. Fred Craddock explains, it is evident that Jesus is not facing reluctance, but enthusiasm. These people come to him. He is not calling them out to a life of discipleship. One is to read what follows, therefore, as the response of Jesus to the enthusiasm of persons who seem totally unaware that he is going to Jerusalem and to the cross. He adds, in a sum, his word is, think about what you were doing and decide if you are willing to stay with me all the way. So that is one context for hearing this confrontational teaching. This call to discipleship, in all its great seriousness and truth, 
has the purpose of calling the herd, so to speak. But hate your parents and children and give away all possessions? My study Bible's notes say, hate is used in vigorous, vivid hyperbole. The parallel passage in Matthew 10, verse 37, reflects Jesus' meaning. If it is hyperbolic, then it is meant to grab our attention about its seriousness, but is not to be taken literally, at least not necessarily. Hyperbole means exaggeration. And that passage in Matthew 10 has Jesus saying, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We hear the similarity, but also the difference. And, once again, I found Craddock's commentary on Luke illuminating. He wrote, To hate is a Semitic expression, meaning to turn away from, to detach oneself from. There is nothing of that emotion we experience in the expression, I hate you. There is a cost to following Jesus, and, conversely, a cost to, de- to detach ourselves from him, or turn away from him. In the future decades and centuries after Jesus walked the earth, families were sometimes split apart when someone became a Christian and was cast out because the others in the family would not tolerate it. Sundar Singh, who lived from 1889 to 1929, was raised a Sikh in Tibet. A prayer experience converted him to the Christian faith, not what he was looking for. And when he insisted on being baptized, his father spoke words of official rejection over him. He then became an outcast, not only from his family, but from his people. Families are still divided over Christ, and what it was more, and that was more likely in the early centuries of the Jesus movement, but it is not limited to the history books. Well, time prevents me from going all out in exposition of this whole teaching, but as I read and reread this passage, I saw the middle part as fundamental to the whole thing. That's where Jesus says, basically, you do not start building a tower or wage a war without counting the cost and believing you can complete it. I almost call this homily counting the cost because, you know, Everything costs so much these days. And Jesus is saying the cost of following him as a disciple is putting him first, similar to the last line in our prayer of confession this morning. Does this cost more than we are willing to pay? If God is the source of our life, and Christ is the source of knowing God as agape love, strength, mercy, peace, eternal life, and hope, does it make sense to put Jesus at number two on our priority list? To borrow once more from preaching Professor Craddock, what is demanded of disciples is that in the network of many loyalties in which all of us live, the claim of Christ and the gospel not only takes precedence, but, in fact, redefines the others. This can and will necessarily involve some detaching, some turning away.
in the network of many loyalties in which all of us live, the claim of Christ and the gospel not only takes precedence, but in fact redefines the others. Focusing first and foremost on living as guided by Jesus' teaching and love, putting him in the center of ourselves does not mean one has to become a pastor, a missionary, a nun, a monk, or taking a vow of poverty. This is not grim business, and it's not transactional. It's easier to be joyful about this decision to follow, because in counting the cost, we also must realize some of the great blessings which will be ours. Following and giving Jesus top priority has its costs, but it provides us with so much more. One of the great gifts which comes from putting God first is hope. The importance of hope can be underestimated, yet without it, so many things would not happen. Some persons get out of bed in the morning only by the power of hope. Addicts addicts go to rehab or join a 12-step recovery program looking for hope. People try to lose weight or work out with hope. Without hope, would there be any effort made? And hope drove our Christian forebears who died for the faith because they believed in being faithful to the one who is faithful to them, who is the God of resurrection. I recently read about a phenomenon called learned helplessness. It came out of psychology experiments in the 1960s with dogs. In the interest of time, some dogs in the experiments, because of their treatment in the experiments, developed learned helplessness. That is, they stopped trying to do something to get relief. They came to believe that no matter how hard they tried, nothing they did would make a difference. They lay down and refused to move because they learned to believe they were powerless to find relief. The grad student who found this phenomenon described it like this. Learned helplessness is the giving up reaction, the quitting response that follows from the belief that whatever you do does not matter. Hope however, makes an extraordinary difference. Daniel Goleman writes, from the perspective of emotional intelligence, having hope means that one will not give in to overwhelming anxiety, a defeatist attitude, or depression in the face of difficult challenges or setbacks. Indeed, people who are hopeful evidence less depression as they maneuver through life in pursuit of their goals are less anxious in general, and have fewer, not none, have fewer emotional distresses. The conviction that our effort makes a difference, that we are not victims of circumstance, is what keeps us persisting in the face of setbacks. It saves saves us from apathy, hopelessness, and despair. And thinking about our holiday, hope had to be part of the labor movement in its early years hope that there would be success and some fair treatment. John Ortberg, in his book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat, brings the faith perspective to this. He wrote, When someone comes to believe in God, to believe that God is really active and interested in human affairs, the issue of learned helplessness changes 
radically. People with a strong sense of self-confidence may make that the hinge in swinging away from learned helplessness. They believe in their own abilities and are empowered to go forward. But Reverend Ortberg continues, But for one who believes in God, the hinge point is not simply what I'm capable of. The real question is what God might want to do through me. The real question is what God might want to do through me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he quoted Philippians. Now that is not a blank check, he continued. In writing these words, the Apostle Paul did not intend for us to understand that being a Christian means I can hit higher notes than Pavarotti. It means I have great confidence that I can face whatever life throws at me, that I never need to give up, that my efforts have potency because of the one, capital O, because of the one at work within me. Hope includes all the psychological advantages of optimism, but it is rooted in something deeper. When I hope, I believe that God is at work to redeem all things regardless of how things happen to be turning out for me today. Hope does not prevent me from expecting the worst. The Christ follower is to be marked by what we might call vital hope, a lively and energetic hope. And that is just the start of what makes paying the cost to follow Jesus Christ with faith and love so worth it. Now, Ortberg went on to discuss what it means to cultivate that thought that we can do all things through the one who strengthens us. And he asks, how do we develop minds that focus on Christ in the middle of storms, buoying our ship with hope, he asks. That would be priceless. Maybe I'll preach on that next Sunday. Everything costs so much these days. Even following the Lord, who redefines all our loyalties through him and after him. Following this risen one, though, is abundantly hopeful and ultimately much less costly than turning away. Amen. I hope you found some of that inspiration that I found in reading in preparation for this homily and then in preaching it. The emphasis on hope, I think, is something we all would benefit from hearing again. There's so much negative stuff that we're exposed to. There is, you know, there even within the church, there, there can be so many calls to action and urgency and uh, calls for sacrifice that are not illegitimate. I'm not saying there's, these things are wrong. Some of them may be in some churches. But it gets to a point where we need to be built up. We need to be encouraged. I find that to be true. So I'm hoping that, and I can't speak for next week, but I really thought that this aspect of being called to discipleship deserved being looked at and looked at it in the context of following him and remembering that we're following the risen one and the God who is not dead but alive and who gives us what we need. If it's not always what we want, we will make it through in this life and unto the next.
Next week will be September 11th. That is the Sunday when our Sunday school and choir return. And St. Peter's opens up a little bit more to pre-COVID activity. And we thank you again for listening. And as I say almost every week, God bless your week. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to the Redheaded Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.